Welcome everybody to Velocity Work Live. This is the first episode of hopefully many, and I'll say more about Velocity Work Live, but we're so lucky to have Joey Vitale on today. Thank you for being the first. I am so honored and excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, let me give some context to everybody who is watching. Essentially, this is a show with entrepreneurs and business owners that are out of the hustle, grind, lift your firm off the ground phase. They don't have that as a part of their life anymore. It doesn't mean they're not working on growth, but it's just not the same vibe of trying to get yourself to a place of more freedom or like the people we're going to have on this show, they've got that. And on this show, though, I'm interested in their businesses and I think there's so many inspiring businesses out there. This show is about the human behind the business. This show is about how the owner operates, how they think, the lessons that they've learned. And of course, your business is a big part of you. So you'll have some of the, like your business will come up likely, but it's not about the business. If people want to learn about your business, we will make sure they have what they need to be, go find it. Right. So it made perfect sense because I've known Joey for such a long time and I'll be damned if he has not created a life of the life that you want. That's, I mean, it's just the life that you want. There isn't hustle now. There isn't a grind now. There's milestones that you've hit and now, yeah, you want to grow, but you're breathing easy now. And that's, I'm super excited to have you on just to hear all the things. It means so much to me that you believed in me. And again, it's an honor to to be a guest on this show, much less the first one. And I've told you this before, but there were moments when we worked together when you were like, Joey, you are an exceptionally strong business owner. And I had never heard that mm. from anyone before. Wow. And I just, I think it's really important to have people in your corner who see potential and possibility in your growth that you might not see in yourself yet. I'm now trying to, to give back in that same way and look for the potential in the, the business owners that are, are coming to me with help or, or questions because you have no idea how much that means to people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I hear that. I think, yeah, I can think of certain people that have been that voice for me and you're right. It makes a huge difference. And they don't even know that they're making the difference when they're making it. It's just like right. what they're saying, right? Let's get into it. The first question is a little bit about your business, but okay. you are the founder of Indie Law. You are also the founder of Joey C. Vitale, which does more of coaching, training kind of stuff, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's sort of two arms of your business. Just out of curiosity, is it under an umbrella or it's two totally separate entities? Really, really good question. The short version of the story is that they are totally separate with no umbrella over it. Uh, a lesson and quick tip to any other lawyers out there who are thinking about doing things like coaching, consulting, creating courses, most if not all states will want you to have a separate business entity so that customers that you have for those types of things aren't considered clients of your law firm. So for that reason, we do have totally separate businesses that very much complement one another, but are uh, run separately. 
And uh, even though we have a, a combined team that fulfills on both, we learned and take very seriously that the law firm is separate than the other stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Well, so now the question I wanted to open with is, and whatever comes to your mind is fine. Okay. How did you lift your business off the ground? Without Ooh. question, that's the hardest part, I think, as you know, with an owner and many people watching this are beyond that. Many people are in the middle of it, but it would just be good to hear like what comes to mind when I ask you, how did you lift this off the ground? And when you say lifting it off the ground, you mean like creating the business? Yeah. Like you went from zero yeah. to one or to something, right? Like you had to. It's a good question because it was not really even by design. Yeah. I never thought in law school that I would one day have my own business. And after spending two years at a pretty great law firm with a really good culture, I just really felt like I was a bad fit and wasn't a good lawyer in general because it was mostly courtroom work. I don't like being in court or in depositions and being super one-sided. So I, I left that firm looking for another law firm to work for couldn't find a job when I moved from St. Louis to Chicago and then mm. got mentored by a really great startup lawyer who did business slash startup law and working with her really gave me the confidence to go out on my own. Mm. And I think it became more of a, an exciting thing. And this sounds kind of silly. Once I found a group of people that I wanted to serve and felt comfortable serving, then it got really exciting because at my old law firm, I was used to defending like huge hospitals. And as an attorney, and you're thinking about the risks of doing things wrong, or are they going to like me or not? Like that seemed super intimidating. Then I started working with these really cool tech startups. And I was like, I don't really know exactly what they're doing. And then about this time that I started building out my own firm, I was recommended to join all of these Facebook groups that mm. were all around Etsy store owners. And my first real niche was all grandmas on Etsy, which was like the, the most like loving group of people I could have imagined working with. So they were totally cool with me not wearing a suit. I was told by several people that I reminded them of like their son or their nephew who like would just come over and fix the printer. And that was kind of the vibe that I wanted of like, I'm just kind of like your friendly neighborhood lawyer who's approachable kind of a feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm super, super grateful to that community for just being super, super easy for me to lift off from. And then mm -hmm. from that, I got to know other types of entrepreneurs, creatives, and slowly started to build confidence back as a lawyer and a, a law firm owner to a point where now I'm confidently serving and counseling more established businesses, creatives, designers, business coaches, course creators, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm one of your clients, so I'm in that pool. Okay. A couple other questions. I did not know that about the, you said grandma's. Yeah. Um, Etsy. I feel like I was, I was towards the beginning of your business, not at the beginning. I did not. I don't think I knew that. That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. So I met a really great business coach who, when we first started working together, I 
told her this idea of what I was working on and the type of brand that I wanted my firm to be like and be informal and things like this. And she was like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but would you at all be interested in working with like old ladies who are selling stuff on Etsy? And I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And she was like, okay, because there are hundreds of Facebook groups with huh. thousands of these people who need help. Wow. And you would be a really great fit to like come in and like lead quick My legal gosh. trainings. And so niche. I and I I've learned that when people say like the riches are in the niches, it is one of the fastest ways to grow a business and you don't necessarily need to stay with that niche, but if you're wanting to grow quickly, and I didn't do this on purpose, but it was really, really smart looking back that we mm. we went super specific with a niche and we ended up having things like blog posts go viral in these different Facebook groups mm -hmm. um, because what we were writing was so specific to the legal needs of Etsy store owners. Mm -hmm. So great. Okay, tell me about a time that you can think of where you made, we talk about a lot about making a plan and honoring your plan. Mm. And there's this thing about that, that your plan rarely goes as planned. So there's that, but it's still really important to have it. It's a guide. Like you, you show up for the work, right? Yep. What's a time where you felt really clear about how to get from A to B? how to, maybe that meant like completing a project. Maybe that meant getting your business to a certain point or increasing a number of some sort. But tell me about a time you went from A to B and you were certain that this was like going to work or going to be the thing, or there weren't going to be hiccups or whatever. And you were wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, does anything stand out? So the question is, when was a time when I committed to a certain plan thinking, oh my gosh, this is totally going to work. And then like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what comes to mind is not just one plan, but like a, a pattern of plans that I had for a while where mm. it was like, I'm going to join this one person's program, usually some type of a marketing or social media program. Mm -hmm. And they are going to give me all of the secrets and hacks that I need. Mm. to have all of the clients that I want for the quarter. Mm -hmm. And I realized painfully time and time again <laughs> that as helpful as those groups are, they don't have preset answers to give you. Right. 99% of the time, if they're good, what they'll do is just help you pay attention and listen super closely as you're taking action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it can be really frustrating when you think, oh, I'm just investing in this program for an ROI on the other end to realize, oh no, like this is, I'm investing in a, almost like a forced accountability exercise that will hopefully give me lessons learned that I can execute for the ROI. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. It's almost like to get from A to B, your plan was that course or that coach or it's almost like it wasn't your plan, but you knew that there probably was a plan. You were just going to do that. Right. And it didn't work out the way you thought it would. Not that you didn't get anything out of it, but it's just not what you thought. It didn't go, it, it didn't get you succinctly from A to B. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting them to say the best way for us to help you is to help you track and record what you're doing. Mm. And mm. 
I, I know that Melissa is huge on tracking and mm. I've learned to appreciate that so much because even though it can, especially if you're new to it, it can almost seem like, man, give me my money back. I shouldn't be paying this much just to have someone be measuring, helping me measure data. Mm. It is the measuring of that data that allows you to discover how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so true. Well said. Stamp of approval, <laughs> which you don't need. Um, I want to know if there are any principles or philosophies that you always keep top of mind. That for it's just like a thing for you. Does anything stand mm. out when I ask that? Yeah, I think this comes from you or is inspired by you, but it's facts over feelings. Mm-hmm. So especially when things are happening, like I'm talking with my team or when clients are coming to us with elevated concerns and, and fears about certain things, we will listen to what they're saying when they're talking about feelings. And then we will ask them to clarify what's going on in terms of the facts. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's something that's always top of my head top of mind in terms of when we're working through issues, how can we move forward? And then a related point there is think in terms of issues, not problems. Because when you're thinking in terms of facts over feelings, then the the negative problem kind of fades away and you can focus more objectively on what's the issue. Mm-hmm. One of the visuals that that runs through my head as I say this, it's a story that I tell my team all the time. My phrasing of it is like, think like Link. So Link is a video game character from the Zelda games. We talked earlier about how I'm a nerd. And one of the really cool things about Zelda that I remember as a kid was there were all of these like temples and puzzles that you'd have to figure out. But there was a pre-programmed solution. Like the game was rigged for you to beat the temple or be the bad guy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And there's this scientific thing called like the, the Tetris effect, where if you play Tetris for like hours mm-hmm. and then you leave, you will start to just see shapes. You'll start to like see the Tetris uh-huh. stuff happening in, in real life until the effect kind of wears off. When I was in like fifth or sixth grade, I played Zelda for like all day. And then a friend asked me over, he lives super close by. In order to get to his house, I have to go through this creek. There's a small little bridge and then I'm there. And I get there, it's raining, the bridge is overflowing. And I've been playing Zelda for so long that there was this Tetris effect of like, how can I get through, get past this bridge? I ended up like realizing that like there was a railing that was thick enough that I could stand on it and go over the bridge. I go to my friend's house. He's like, how did you get here? The bridge was overflowing. And I was like, oh, I like walked over it. We call my mom. She yells at me for doing it and has to pick me up when I go home. But it's, I'm so thankful for that experience. Mm -hmm. And now like, again, think like Link is like my way of thinking like, okay, there is a solution that is Mm pre-programmed in this issue that I'm trying to solve. And if I think about it that way, then it's just a matter of trying to figure out the puzzle. Yeah, definitely. I love that. The puzzle that if we looked at problems as puzzles instead Mm. of problems, your world opens up. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there's a piece over here. Oh, 
let's just move this or yeah, it's just, it's just a really healthy way to think about it. Productive way to think about it. I love that. Think like link. Very cool. With the way that you think about business, is there anything that from business that translates over that you bring over into your personal life? Maybe that, I don't know. But is there anything that comes to mind is like your business mindset makes its way into personal life? That's a really good question. I think for me, the thing that I think most affects my personal life is something that I've learned over the years of in order for me to have the success and the impact and the freedom that I want, I have to show up and be someone at an identity level that's different than who I've been in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that I see that principle show itself in business, the more I realize how I can change how I'm being mm -hmm. in my more personal relationships in a way to strengthen those relationships. Yeah. Um, as much as possible, keep in mind facts, not feelings. Mm-hmm. For a while, I was giving this talk and I would start with this story of how every morning I do a series of things and I wake up before my wife, Kat, does. And one of the things that I do is I feed the dog. And one morning I was a little bit behind and she came in and she asked me, Joey, have you fed the dog yet? And I was really frustrated. I was behind and I kind of lashed out and I was like... I've done so much this morning. Like, I'm sorry I didn't get to it. And she was like, no, I wasn't asking in a judgy way. I just wanted to know if you fed him or not. Yeah. And I think that where I'm going with that is that I'm working more and more on assuming less and reading less into mm -hmm. how people are acting and what people are saying and just taking what I'm perceiving at, perceiving at face value. Because yeah. I... I've gotten rid of a lot of stress by just not reading into things anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. I identify with what you're saying, like in terms of I've been on a journey <laughs> with how to balance that with team because mm -hmm. at home I will, it is important to like not make assumptions or just ask. Right. Yeah. But at work there, it's almost like I want to be a little tighter and I don't want to, I want to be, I'm nice. I, so it's not that I'm not nice, but I don't want to just open up conversation to make sure that I, you know, maybe I was picking up on something and it's almost like we're here to do a job and I'm not going to ask about your emotional state. I want people to feel comfortable enough to let me know if they're having a hard day or if they need some help or if they need whatever. But there is this line where sometimes you feel like you're picking up something and I walk it because I, and I like, I'm watching myself do it and get better and better over time at, do I need to speak up and say something here about the vibe or do yeah. I, do we just keep, let's just talk about what needs to be talked about. I, and so anyway, I've played with that line because there's almost like what, when the facts, not feelings. Cause that's what I, I lean heavy on that at work yeah. and, and to be, to keep, to stay really nice it meaning not nice. That's not the right word, but just a good leader. Some like a whole leader, not, not militant. And we're just about numbers and that's it. It's like, how do you walk the line of facts? Not feelings basically means you deal with the facts so that it's like all these emotions are there, 
but what are the facts? And then it kind of calms the emotions down. And so when you're focusing on the facts, there is a balance of learning how to do that without being cold. Yeah. I don't ever mean to be cold, but learning how to do that and hold that line for real without being cold. And so I've watched myself work with this and it feels like that's a little bit of kind of what you're. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, a couple years ago when we started hiring more VAs overseas, there was one instance in particular where someone on my team reached out to me and was like, Joey, it's not a huge deal, but I just really feel like this person is not enjoying working with us. They were in the Philippines and they they were speaking in a very direct way, okay, on calls, in Slack, wherever. And we figured out that they just speak and, and write in a way that is more factual. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have, I, I don't think the, for me, I am, and I'm getting better at this, of I, I want people to like me. I want to stand grace with everybody. I, and I infuse a lot of feelings into stuff that I say. Mm-hmm. And because, and I think I've been very, I, I've been trained to keep that tone when I'm writing to certain people so that they know that I'm not upset or whatever it is. And once we clarified that this was almost like a cultural difference, mm-hmm. I then flipped it around and I was like, you guys, we actually have, we can learn something Mm -hmm. from this. Mm -hmm. And now we have a rule that it's helpful for everyone to not edit ourselves for tone Mm -hmm. and to have a sense of transparency and trust within the team Mm -hmm. that if you receive something that is direct, you won't interpret it as cold unless like we indicate that there is more of a problem there. Mm-hmm. And so don't read negative in emotion into something that is just emotionless. Right. Yeah. That's so true. That's so interesting. We do that automatically. If it's missing, the, it misses, there's no eyebrows in writing, right? So right. You can't like see what people are doing. And so if you don't have the eyebrows and there's something just super direct or like facts, right? There's no extra stuff other than that. Yep. It's so easy to assume the side of cold versus why do we have any assumptions? Yeah. I guess because people overcompensate pretty consistently with exclamation points and smiley faces. It's so funny that you say exclamation points because at my, my old law firm, there was a partner at the firm who was a really nice guy, but had this reputation for being a little emotionless. And at this firm, it was very common to kind of dictate notes or a memo to someone, send it to your assistant, and that assistant would write it up and then give it back to the attorney. They would make edits and it would get sent to you. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times where I received memos from this other attorney that were typed up with the help of the teammate. And I could see that he removed exclamation points that she had added. Mm. like thank yeah. you exclamation point exclamation point removed yeah. into into a period yeah and i remember at the time being like man this guy like like it's kind of like jerk energy but no like i get it now that yeah. like that isn't necessary 
Yeah. And yeah, especially when you're managing a team and I'm trying to have this conversation as openly with all of my team members as I can, that we run a pretty positive law firm. Mm -hmm. We try, I mean, big smiles is our big signature that we put everywhere, mm -hmm. but it's the nature of a law firm is we are carrying the stress of our clients, mm -hmm. right? It's my duty to keep reminding our team that it's very easy to lose trust in the team and feel like people might be talking behind your back. There's some problem or that mistake that you made yesterday is still being remembered and talked about by everybody. And it's like, no, you have to trust us in our communications with you mm -hmm. that whatever we're saying to you should be taken at face value mm -hmm. and you shouldn't be reading between the lines or assuming things, mm -hmm. which also means that we have to be very clear in things like performance reviews. Mm -hmm. we, we can't go back on that and say, hey, when we, we tried to be nice and a good cop earlier and you didn't get the message. Yeah. That's not something that we can have as an excuse later on down the road. Right. That's a really good point. You were talking about the, this is something, I feel like there's a lot of people that probably deal with this with their team. Like they try to figure out the balance. Like I think in Slack, for instance, there's a lot of different channels, a lot of different things going on. I will not <laughs> use brain power to make sure that the emotion comes through. That to me is a no. Yeah. And I really have struggled with that because I come across extremely direct, more direct than in person for sure. And I don't really care, except, you know, I do wonder how it lands. I do care that people, it's not really my problem, but it kind of is my problem, how it's landing. And I know that, that there's other people out there that are the same way, especially a lot of law firm owners. There's so many balls in the air, so many things you're juggling. This isn't really a moment. It's not, you know, your moments are precious. And so when you're responding, it's quick, it's to the point and sometimes could feel really cold. But one thing I always remind myself of is I am fun. I am freaking fun. <laughs> and if I'm not fun on in a message, sorry, like that's not my job. Yeah. Black. Like that's not where I'm fun. There's moments for that. That's not it. Like we we're trying to just communicate quickly back and forth. Like stop wanting emotion from me. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love the way you put that. Cause there are moments for fun. There are yeah. moments in our team meetings yeah. where we talk about positive focuses. We get more personal. There are certain channels in Slack that yeah. are more dedicated to confetti reactions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but we, and, but it's part of our onboarding process, I think now of like, mm, we communicate to people, here are the things that we do to make sure that you are getting that from the company. And here are places where you can see that we're being fun, but think of us as your mom who doesn't get texting when it comes <laughs> to like the main Slack channels. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so good. But it is, and that's really good that I think it's a part of your onboarding. It's just set the expectation. I mean, so many problems, so many problems would be cleared up if you set expectations correctly, period. Yeah. Whether you're talking about client timelines or whether you're talking about how you communicate with your team. And th that's a really good example. You're just setting expectations right out of the gate. Then there's no problem. People yeah. And I, and I do think it's helpful. I'm so lucky that I met Kat when I was in college. I can't even imagine dating online. But like I feel for any teammates who might be having to that's true. Cross navigate uh -huh. one hour 
on a dating app trying to see, okay, does that person want to go on a date? I don't know what the dating world looks yeah, like anymore. And then yeah. going on Slack and like not, not being expected to read into that. It, oh, that's so good. That's so true. I think that it's, uh, and I, and I've seen in a lot of lawyer forums, people say like, I tried to be nice and so-and-so didn't get the message. Hmm. I think that there's responsibility you have to take there. And that mm. it's not about being nice first and them not getting the message. If they didn't get it, that's on you and you weren't clear enough. Mm -hmm. If it matters, I guess. Yeah. Like sometimes it just doesn't matter if I think that, you know, but I think, it, I think what you're saying is like, given it, if you want to communicate that you are upset with someone or that mm -hmm. someone didn't do something right, or that you need something to be changed in the future, communicate that explicitly and not have it be like, well, I used a period instead of an exclamation. Or I said, like, this is fine. And they should have oh, run into it. Yeah, that's the other side is where your words aren't clear. Right. Are you actually saying or, or are you sort of trying to get the point across without words, with just and the expression? Yeah. The, I would say, to circle back to another question that you asked earlier about just like how are things changing my personal, the personal side of things or, or what mm. is being impacted there. I think another big thing is I am asking a lot more follow-up questions in general mm -hmm. and asking for specificity before I jump in with my own conclusions and opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, all of my lawyer friends, I love you, but I think this is something that we can really as a group get better on. If you go to any Facebook group for lawyers right now and you see someone ask a question, just make a mental note of how many of the comments are quick to give advice in their thoughts versus mm -hmm. asking follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, first I have noticed that, but I have a, like a different angle, a reason I think I noticed that advice is really quick. Sometimes advice is asked for. So there's that. We could talk more about that, but I do notice actually that the forums I'm in with you, I'm not in many, but the ones where mm -hmm. I see you, you always ask follow-up questions. I've never known that that was strategic on your part. I think I just, well, I, don't know I, I, I thought, think it's but... because I, I've realized when I'm wearing a coaching hat or a consulting hat, and if I'm getting paid or really depended on to help someone mm -hmm. and they ask me a question mm -hmm. or even as a lawyer, I need to know more before I give my thoughts. Mm hmm. No, and that's so smart. Yeah. So I do want to raise that caveat of don't ask questions just to be that person who's like, here's a very coachy question for you, for you mm. to think about. And it's like almost a rhetorical question that makes you like want to punch the person who's just kind of being coachy with you. But I do think that it's helpful if you really want to help someone to try and make as few assumptions as possible. Because what I see a lot of times is people are quick to give their answers, opinions, advice. And then the follow-up is, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me here. That's not really what I was asking or whatever it is. You know, what's interesting though. I think, it, so I've, I've watched these threads before and it does seem like there's been times or there's been instances more than one where the person will pose a question and there's sort of blanket advice being given, but from that person who's giving it just their experience, right? Yeah. Their firm, where they are geographically, the team that they have, like there's these unique set of instances where the advice that they're giving is what's worked for them. 
but it's it's almost foolish to think that that exact thing is going to work for someone else. And not that the person giving the advice thinks that they're just being they're just offering it up. And I don't think there's any malintent there at all. But when you pose questions and people almost at times get frustrated by your questions because they don't know the answers to them. Right. Like you're clarifying questions. And so what's fascinating is that I think a lot of people, and I have been here, I've been in this spot before, but people will ask, they want answers. The hard work of digging to figure out what's right for you, like what's the right answer for you. It's not rocket science, but it's not easy. It's super simple, yeah. but it's not easy. You know, when you push back, you're not pushing back. You're literally asking clarifying questions and you'll feel people be like, I don't know, man, you know, that there's something that comes across where it's hard for them to answer. Then what they're looking for is what's in those comments where people are just blurting out advice coming from a good place. But how do you know that it's the right thing for that person? And this person is even having a hard time clarifying the questions to be able to get tailored advice. Yeah. And, well, and to take this a step further in this context too, the other thing in a, that I always couple with the listening and the asking is grounding the next step in action. What does that mean? So back into this, you know, Facebook group uh, example, what, and you might've seen me do this before, but sometimes instead of me asking a question, I'll just say, Hey, Melissa, you got 10 great answers to your question. Mm. What are you going to do moving forward? Oh, that's good. Like, which one of these are you that. going to pick and decide mm -hmm. and move forward with? And usually what I get is winky face. Like, these are all great things. I'm going to sit with it and see what I'm going to do moving forward. And that's the other big thing is I have really decreased the amount of time that it takes for me to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think so many business owners think that the smartest thing that they can do is think deeply about big problems. I mean, it may be, it depends, right? Maybe, but you've got to put on your calendar when you're going to make the decision by. And usually yeah. the decision can happen pretty quickly. Yes, that's 100% true. Yes. That's what people say. It took me a month to make the decision. No, it actually took you about less than a minute. You just took a bunch of time before that minute. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, and people think that they need a bunch of time and really that typically is not the truth. So yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Okay. I have more questions. Is that okay. fine with you? Yeah. Um, okay. So now that you've gotten to the place you've gotten, which let's ch chat about that for a second. So right now you do about five hours a month of client work and that's yeah. it. That's what you're down to with that. Your days are pretty not flexible. And I, so I'm going to use words. You correct me. Cause I don't want them to be insulting. Yeah. I think this is amazing. Light. Your days are pretty light, lighter than they used to be. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I don't mean that as an insult. That's, that's what, I mean, if we're all being honest, that would be fantastic. Right. You've gotten to this place of more freedom, more space. What is something that when you kind of, when you had envisioned you're building this business, you wanted to get yourself to a certain place, you've gotten yourself to this certain place. What's different than you thought it would be? What I'm going to say might take some unpacking. Business feels less fulfilling than it used to. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. My business I'm learning does not exist to keep me from being bored. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like everybody should hear that again. I wish if we had like a rewind <laughs> and then you'd say it again. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of people in my life who work hard, who are great mentors and inspirations. And I've learned to kind of unpack what it is in certain people and, and see certain things that I do want to take with me and move forward with and certain things that I just want to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. And my dad comes to mind. My dad's one of the best mm -hmm. people you'll ever meet. The guy cannot take a vacation and sit on a beach for five seconds without getting antsy. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of lawyers have a similar type of glorification of the hustle, where mm -hmm. if we just do nothing for 10 minutes, we feel like we're wasting time mm -hmm. or we're not doing enough. That doesn't mean that my dad would like rush to like make phone calls. He would be like, hey, kids, like, let's do something. He just didn't like being like idle. Mm -hmm. And now he's technically retired and we're seeing that like not play out well at all. And I, I think that I saw that at young enough of an age where I was like, I want to be able to get to a point where I can relax and not just relax to like have a refresher so I can be ready when I start working again, but like relax just to relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of just focus on, and I forgot what the question was that you even asked me at the beginning, but I, I've learned to try and find examples of people who are using their free time or able to enjoy their free time mm -hmm. in a way that just seems super refreshing to me and trying to take and borrow some of that lifestyle mm -hmm. because I think that it's, and you and I have talked about this before, it's very easy to build a business and a vision just because you see other people doing it. And then you get there and you realize that it doesn't really make you happy or whatever it is. And so it takes a lot of work to get really clear on what your compelling reasons are for your vision for your business. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that is figuring out for yourself, like trying something, did it work for me? Did it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's funny is that we work, we work, we like lift a business off the ground. That is going to be chaotic. That's what I meant at the top of the show. When I said, this isn't, the show is to interview people who are beyond the hustle and the grind, mm. because I think that there is that when you're lifting anything off of the ground, very rarely, there'd be a very rare set of circumstances where there isn't chaos really involved in just the lifting. And then you figure out what systems you need and processes you need and et cetera, et cetera. And you can start to create some calm in the business, but people get addicted to that. It's not because they, they don't, they would never say that they love it. Some would, but those who say, who don't say that they like it, like they kind of want relief. They actually don't know what to do when yeah. they get time back. And so then they'll kind of keep themselves in the hustle because it's more uncomfortable in some yeah. way to find your place in this with space. And it's, have... it's so interesting because the, cause I agree with you. I think in the beginning there is that inevitable critical hustle and grind yeah. that you need to make moves. Yeah. And then you hit a point where that same hustle and grind is minimally helpful and maybe even counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Diminishing returns for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. And when I've had clients that have said they plan out their week, right? Monday, Matt, Friday wrap. 
and they'll say, and now, and after quarterly retreats, like they're delegated a bunch of stuff. There's some ownership that other people have now that's off of their plate. And I'll have them message me and say, this sounds dumb, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And for a bit, my answer is just chill, just chill. Like you have on your calendar, the things that need to be addressed and need to be done by you get used to the space because the last thing you want to do is just fill the void again. That's right. not going to be helpful, right. but it's so uncomfortable because they feel like they're twiddling their thumbs. And there is this balance that you have to learn to experience to get your, it's almost like an, you're addicted to the, it's all, all, you know, is the grind. And to get out of that, you have to become the kind of person that can have the firm you really want to have. And that is not grinding. That is this. It's with the space. I don't, it's it's fascinating how tough it is. And speaking from experience, I think it's tough. Like it's not just what I see with clients. Yeah, it's hard. But we we as lawyers specifically have a duty to do everything we can so that our firms don't rely on us. Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And there's stalling that people will do they have fears around certain things or, you know, whatever there's, there's stall tactics, even though that's not what they would call it. That's not what they're trying to do, but they're stalling on getting themselves to a place where things won't implode if something happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not a good, no business should be run that way. Right. Right. Okay. So I think the original question, let's just, I want to know if you answered it. I said, what did you expect? What is something that was unexpected, right? Like you have gotten yourself to this place. Mm. You, you shot for this. You made it and now you're here. What's sort of unexpected about being here? And maybe it is the space. Maybe that's the Yeah. Answer. Well, I know something that you that you say a lot is when you're reaching for a goal, the win isn't that next rung and hitting it, but it is that stretch. It is that reach. Mm-hmm. And I have felt time and time again, and this sounds bad, but like the emptiness of mm-hmm. hitting a goal and expecting to just be happy because you hit the goal that you set. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yes, you should celebrate. That's all great. But the win is the stretch and saying, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to reach for that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've worked with Melissa for what has it been like four years now. And mm-hmm. Melissa's helped me mm-hmm. identify pretty big goals in our business. And for years, it was stressful and kind of frustrating because it felt like, we were consistently falling short of these big goals that we had for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this next quarter is probably going to be the first quarter. And this current quarter is the quarter that for the first time ever, like hit. Mm-hmm. We've always gotten close or been surprised by what's happened in the past. I think this is going to be the first quarter where we cross the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I think it took us to have an experience like this to say, okay, as great as it was to finally have a, a win in the books where we set a big goal and we hit it, mm-hmm. we would actually pick the instances where we identified a really strong, clear, big goal that was a reach and we didn't quite hit it, mm-hmm. but we really pushed ourselves well to strive for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good realization. To, I mean, you're very solid in that realization and, it's been a journey to, to hear you say it this solidly. Yeah. And, and I think it's, we talked earlier about how we're, we're mapping out what next year is going to look like. And I think now my team has a really healthy 
balanced sense of what do we think is possible? And now that we've been in business for long enough, we've been doing this long enough, what do like our historical projections show to hopefully be true? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, what can we do now to set a new high benchmark and how can we map that out? Mm-hmm. And something that I do with some of the attorneys, especially other trademark attorneys that might be newer than I am to the the business owner space is if you want to make 500K next year or a million next year, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong or good about that necessarily, but let's at least do the work. And Melissa helps you do this of reverse engineering how you get there mm-hmm. quarter by quarter, month by month, seeing, okay, what are you actually going to make? What What is going to be your path to hitting this big goal? Mm. Then once you've broken it down like that, saying, okay, is this a beast that we believe in and want to tackle and it'll be fun? Or is this feeling like just way too heavy and unrealistic and we're going to, it's always going to seem super far. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with realizing that aiming a little bit lower no. to bring a little bit more of achievability and fun into it. Yeah. Cause if they, if you don't really buy into it or believe it, it's definitely yeah. not going to happen. We can all, we can all say we're going to make a billion dollars next year. Yeah. And it's cool to think that big, mm-hmm. but if you want to make a big, hairy, scary goal effective, it requires, it's not just claiming the huge number. Mm-hmm. It's the reverse engineering. How are you going to get there? That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least just seeing what the possibilities are to get there, like right. playing it out. That's so good that you're so strong in, in that because tell me where I'm wrong. Like you said, really, really, really big goals that like what we're talking about now, it felt like probably not going to happen, but let's go for it anyway. Right. Yeah. Like you've done that. You've also done where you've stretched. We think we could hit it. You might fall short, but we can see a way there. I believe that we could hit this. And then you get yourself like a path that to that. Yep. So you've done that. Have you ever set something where when you're looking back on it, the bar was too low? Yeah, I think. And I don't I think mean, that has happened a couple of times in the past. Can I clarify something though? Yeah. I don't mean the number was too I mean, you guys, it was easy easier than it should have felt to be able to hit that goal. And so everybody was really excited because of course you could hit that goal. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it It's happened before. And what it turned into was that kind of pat on the back sense of from these goals that were more attainable, we've identified projects that are easier to execute and we can re- all, we can all feel really good about checking all of our boxes within the first month of the quarter and saying that we were all super productive mm-hmm. and that's, that's all good. Mm-hmm. But I will say too, that one of the things that we've shifted to, and when this started to happen, I reached out to Melissa and I was like, is this okay? Is we started building goals and projects that I, as the CEO no longer own. Good. That is 100% okay. <laughs> and I was like, like, Oh no, am I like not doing business right when I'm doing this? But it's been so great Mm -hmm. to watch not only my team step up and identifying and clarifying what these goals need but i thought that i was the only one that could carry this sense of like lessons learned how is that going to inform things next time Mm -hmm. and i think one of those easy but important things that i can do moving forward is to continue to keep my mouth 
kind of shut mm. and let my team maybe make the mistakes that I could have prevented them from making mm -hmm. so that they can really learn and feel these lessons learned for themselves. Yeah. yeah. You're playing the long game. That's I think yes. people that interject too much too quickly. It's like they're trying to control the short term result. Right. And they're screwing themselves because the long they're going to be playing that game their entire life if that's how they do it. But if they if you're playing the long game, you do take that approach. Like this is why I want to dig into the humans behind the business because this is not something you're going to get when if somebody has you want to talk about your business, this right. isn't typically the stuff that comes up. And this is important. You're playing the long game. And so just asking yourself, where are you actively? If you observe the decisions that you're making and the way that you're handling certain things and the way that you're operating, where are you doing that for the short term result? Yeah. Like, where are you doing it because you're trying to control a short term, short term result? And just ask yourself if you, if you really want that, yeah. or do you want to play the long game of what are you going to have to adjust in order to play the long game? Oh, that's so good. And another thing that I've learned, and this is related to all of this is don't let yourself make investments or costs for the business that require huge short-term gains. Mm. I know that was something so good. that as a newer business owner, I heard great coaches say things like, you've got to invest in business. If you want, it pays to pay attention and businesses should be investing this much money in whatever if they or want another... their businesses to grow. Another thing that people say is that you can't not afford to do this. That is such a, that bothers me. Cause it's like, actually, yes, I can. Like, yeah. <laughs> I could not do this and I would be okay. Like, let's be clear. <laughs> right. And, and I think from the coaches that I've learned to really respect and, and see the truth in what they're saying, I've learned that I, I tend to be a pretty literal interpreter of some of these sayings. Uh -huh. If you know that something is going to help you in the long run or that some, I mean, for a while, as, a, as an example, when I first started, there was this program that was about $3,000, $4,000 that would show me how to run online courses. And I was like, okay, great. If I launch a course and have enough sales to make up for this, like that's an ROI for the quarter. And Initially, I had a lot of pressure on myself to make enough sales in my first launch for like the investment to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And I felt really bad the first time I launched my course when I got nowhere near what the cost of that mm -hmm. investment was. And I felt awful the second time I launched it and got even fewer results. Yeah. But now yeah. that I've been launching a course through that model for over eight quarters, mm-hmm. I've more than made a return on it. Yeah. I think that you just, you need to be mindful of what's the ROI, how long-term is that ROI? And, and who to say? That's a hard question to answer, I it's think. A, it's a hard one to say, but I, I think that for that reason, I don't recommend that a lot of business owners jump into Facebook ads. Right. Because, or at least jump into high-budget Facebook ads right away. Mm -hmm. Just because it, you're hoping that you get an ROI quickly when yep. you're going to be learning a lot and it could take a while. Yeah. That's, I love the, the word you use was pressure when you, I can't remember how you phrased it just a minute ago, but basically investments for a short-term return, return 
are will usually suffocate you. It just puts too much pressure if you need something short term out of the investment. Not every time. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's exceptions to this. I can't think of one right now, but I'm sure that there is. But that is not wise. That is not like yeah. you're putting too much pressure and you're not being realistic. And you're there's a really good chance you're going to be extremely disappointed. And instead of why you know could you enter the investment with? I think this is a good knowledge set or whatever you're paying for. I think that if I'm playing the long game, this is wise. Like, so yeah, yeah let's do this. Not I'm going to spend this because I need it back in three months. Or Yeah. I, I think said another way, if your plan for hitting your big goal requires you to make huge risks, mm -hmm. then I think it's worth reconsidering what the goal is. Yes. Yeah. If you think that you have to join a 50K mastermind mm -hmm. to make 100K, which would like 10X where you are now, maybe now is not the right time to make that jump. Yeah. Yeah. So true. But marketing will get you if you're not, if you're not, and I'm a fan of marketing, but there's certain people that they use scarcity to an extreme when they're selling and it just turns me off. Like it doesn't, I don't necessarily have negative or bad thoughts about the, the company or the yeah. person, but it's not for me period. Cause it's just, I don't buy into it. I don't need in each of you listening. You have everything you need to take the next step. You have everything yeah. you need to get yourself to the next phase or next level. And if I can inject a little marketing lesson learned here, mm when we are running campaigns on things and we're thinking about what you might label as like scarcity tactics or scarcity touch points, we are intentionally putting those as best as we can mm -hmm. after some type of an agreement or a commitment or a belief that we're seeing from that lead that they are so far getting a heck yes mm -hmm. of, I know this is going to help me. Yeah, and so if, as a consumer of uh -huh. other people's marketing, if you feel like you're learning about some type of an offer and you're like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what's going to help me, uh -huh. then any scarcity-based marketing that you get after that is meant to help you make the decision. Because if you don't make it quickly, you probably won't make it at all, Yeah, which will procrastinate into a no. I totally get that. I think what I'm talking about is when, if somebody were just to say that, yep. that like, yes. Like, cause there's, there's been times where I'm like, should I invest in that? Should I not? Like, it seems like a good product or program or whatever, or, and that is true to me. Like just make a freaking decision and be yeah. all in with your decision, whether it's no, or whether it's yes, just quit sitting on the pot. What, <laughs> so. what, I, what I sometimes say in like my webinars and things is like, the fact that you are sitting on this webinar means that you're sitting on a fence. Uh, and okay, sitting yeah. on, an, on a fence is a very uncomfortable place to sit. And I want to help you off that fence either way. That's so true. Yeah. No, that's good. I think what I meant scarcity, because I should clarify, you know, the doors are going to close at a certain time. That to me is fine. That's yeah. true and helpful. And by the way, if there's reasons that those parameters are set up for the back end to make things organized for people coming in, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that or certain number of spots. Same thing. There's a reason for that. But the the things that it's like, can you not, or you can't afford not to do this. That bothers me. 
Like, how do you know? You have no way. You don't know anything about me. Is that so? That bothers me. Yes. And then also, um, people will say, I was with a friend that was shopping, and she was gonna buy this like expensive coat, and she couldn't decide. She couldn't decide, and then she was finally like, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. And the tactics that were used turned her off. The yeah. tactics that were used were, well, you know, this might not be here next week. Instead of they could have said, that looks amazing on you. Yes, you need to buy that. Yes. She would have bought it. <laughs> yes. So one of the interesting things is that I think that the marketing that is the least slimy tends to also be the most effective. And mm -hmm. one piece of marketing advice that I will probably always remember and keep in mind is if you want to communicate to someone like on a sales page that like you can't afford not to do this, if that is the sentence in and of itself, then you're assuming a lot about the other person. Exactly. But that doesn't mean you can't tweak that sentence to say, if you blah, 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 then you can't afford not to take this next step. Yeah, like a qualifier. Because yeah. if, if the sentence is truth, it's fine. Right. <laughs> if the sentence is like... Yeah, if, if you're on fact, board right? with X, Y, Z... If yeah. you agree with what we've been talking about, that this is the case, if yeah. you're, if you've bought in to the fact that you need to honor your plans, yeah, whatever, yeah, then this is the fastest way for you to yep. get there. Yes. I, okay. We're on the same page with that. Totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yes. So good. Okay. I have one more thing I want to dig in with you on. So lately there's been more conversation in my household and on the podcast and whatever, uh, because of a documentary about mm -hmm. the we things. And you and I have talked about the we things before. Like I bring them up sometimes in retreats. It depends on the situation, but for everybody listening, there's a documentary, everybody, everybody and their mother should go watch never give in about Sir Alex Ferguson. It's such a good documentary. And you can find it where? Oh, okay. Good point. So it's on paramount plus only i think which you can get a free week of if you have amazon prime they like give you a free week anyway that's the only place you can get it i've tried other places and he doesn't talk specifically about the we things but my husband identifies with that term because of a coaching and sir alex ferguson sort of indirectly talks about the, the, the tiny things that matter the most when you're coaching so with the we things if i could sum it up here are all the things that almost seem irrelevant to what you're actually going after. So, you know, if you have business goals or if you have really big personal goals, there is the direct action that you have to take to get there. But there's all of these tiny things in your world that if they aren't tended to or paid attention to or done, then it takes away from what you're able to give to the big thing. Yeah. Right. So this can be anything and it's probably different things for different people. But what it, I almost think about it as what's helpful to keep your foundation really solid as mm -hmm. you go big for something. Yeah. So what comes to mind for you is like the wee things that naturally you you mind the wee things like what comes to mind for you? So two things come to mind in particular. OK. One is this idea of like daily measurements hmm. and like whatever it is like. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm in like a 90 plus day fitness program. The main like domino thing is like weigh yourself on a scale same time every day. Mm -hmm. And that both 
make sure that I'm measuring what's happening. And it's like a constant yeah. reminder of when things need tweaking. We're yeah. doing a similar thing now in, in our business. We've got a Slack channel. I think it's called Daily Highlights, mm. where it's just a snapshot of the main numbers mm-hmm. of where we're at mm. for the month or like running totals of certain things. Cool. And so, so that kind of just daily snapshot is mm-hmm. great. And then the other thing, and this is kind of weird, but one of my things is, and let me preface this. I am very much not into conflict. I usually won't like, I am not the kind of person to like tell some, like someone they shouldn't do something or like to, to call people out or whatever. But one thing that I don't tolerate is the use of the word weird. What? My, Say more about that. That's weird, Joey. So, and I, <laughs> there's something about that word that, and, and I'll get into oh. it, but like Kat knows that I don't like the word weird and I don't use it. And if she says it, I'll kind of look at her and she'll use it, pick a different word. But huh. part of our firm and our brand is indie law, which is very much like celebrating people who are subverting norms in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's potentially an insult to people that our company wants to celebrate Hmm. as a part of just like the indie law brand when we label things that are unique and different as bad in some way. And I think it's, I think that most people who use the, and I, and like we can talk about like changing whatever, but I think most people who say weird and I think about specifically like when I was younger and like, I would hear my siblings to me or other people like call something weird. Like mm-hmm. it's the opposite of cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I very much am passionate about people can like, we should celebrate people nerding out on what they're nerding out on. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I do get that. And I was just thinking like, I have a word probably not a lot of people use, but there's a vibe that's given mm-hmm. off where if I, if I pick it up, I'm, I have a really strong reaction to it, but the, to me, weird is almost a badge of, I was always weird. Mm. <laughs> and I think I am weird now, but now it's like, and I think some of my favorite people would probably maybe be labeled as that. Yeah. But like to me, it's almost a badge of honor. You're not, it, to me, it is cool. It's like, I, well, and that's <laughs> the thing is like, I think so too. I just very rarely hear people use it in a way that's. Yeah. And so it's just like uplifting. Sort of, that makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. That is a good fact about you. I didn't know that. And I was just kidding earlier when I said that's weird, Joey. No, Uh, but okay. So I'm wondering the we things. So that's something you care about, but the we things that you tend to, that you make sure take care of you. So you have a really good foundation so that Mm. you can work the way you want to work or go after a personal goal, the way you want to go like the fitness goal, for example. Yeah. So like you, you weigh yourself every day, period. It's like a discipline, right? Yeah. That's one of those and, and good clarifying. Cause, cause yeah, that's something that I know sets the day and me up for success. What um, other things are, do you have like that? And then maybe just one more thing. If you can't think of something, it's okay. A discipline. Oh, that's such a good question. One thing that comes to mind is I'm trying to lead my team away from communications in Slack and email. Mm-hmm. And this feels very much like a, a we thing with our team mm-hmm. of 
keeping people in our task management software yeah. instead of communicating outside of it. Yeah. Because the more that the team honors and respects and goes to that specific space to communicate, uh -huh. the more everyone can do deep work and not be distracted. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's a really good one. I was thinking too, the we things, I don't know if you identify them as that, but like you end work mm. religiously on time every day. Like that's a thing for you, right? Yeah. That's a we thing. Like think if you didn't do that and you just mm. run into the night or whatever. And we've, you've used to do, when I first met you, sometimes that's the way it was for you. Yeah. Well, and, and so if I think back, I think the actual we thing there is when Kat is either done with work or when she's done with like her last meeting of the day, she will come into the main room, whether she's yeah. still on her laptop or not. And that's my cue that Shut like down. the TV goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And I walk away from yeah. the computer. Uh-huh. No, that makes total sense. The other wee thing that you do is you plan your week like a mm. pro with an assistant now. Like, but it's it doesn't not get done. Is that true? That's, it yeah. seems that way. Yeah. It's like it is one small thing. It is a discipline because you know if you do it, it sets you up to be able to really be present and focused throughout the week. Yep. Um, yeah, I feel like you have a lot of wee things you probably just don't. But yeah, it's a, it's probably a good question to noodle on. Yeah, because it is. the And also one other thing that kind of plays into this, you and I have talked about your morning routine. So your morning routine was kind of packed with really meaningful things. And you mentioned working out. I don't know what, what else was a part of your morning routine before you just recently switched. To I it. mean, there was a glorified version of it that was like journaling, taking the dog out by a certain time making like a bigger breakfast, meditating, the whole like five miracle morning, yeah. like 5 a.m. type of a, here's how you can crunch all this stuff down. And when you add just things like taking a shower, getting ready for the day, all this other stuff, it starts to feel like, okay, how am I going to get all of this stuff done and not sacrifice sleep? Right. So I think maybe sleep is the other wee thing that like yeah. has crept up is like, my mornings are still very much in flux, but I wanted to build up the habit of, I want to be able to stay in bed till at least 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to feel like I have to do something in the morning that requires me to wake up earlier Yeah. until I feel like I'm respecting that 7 a.m. wake up time Yeah. and I don't get tired during mm -hmm. the day. Yeah. Because there, there were times over the past couple of years where like, I was like, you know what? I'm sleeping till nine because... I need sleep and I don't trust myself to go to bed early. So I, I need mm -hmm. to just give myself a later wake up time. Yeah. Like that was yeah. the easiest solution. Yeah. That's so, so good. Thank you for coming on here. Of course. This Thanks so been, much for having me. This has been awesome. I was just thinking there's like other things in my head. That I'm like, let's go down that rabbit hole. Okay, let's. It's been a bit, so let's maybe wrap it up. But you got to come back. We'll Will go. Do. I would love deeper. To. Sweet. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, viewers and or when this goes into the podcast feed, listeners. This has been an awesome first episode. More to come, just like it, but maybe not. Maybe not as special as Joey Vitale's. Oh. <laughs> well, thanks everybody. Thanks, Melissa. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.